thinking about 2020. Everybody's got some goals. Everybody's got some things that they're thinking about, right? That's good. That's good. In 2020, we live, we're in a modern age. We're modern people, aren't we? And it's wonderful to think about how far we've come with our technological advances, with our medical advances. I mean, we are a modern people. You know, we are so smart that we can Google anything at any point, right? Everybody's an instantaneous expert. It's wild, isn't it? That we have more than a library at our fingertips. It's wonderful, isn't it? But it's funny when you start to look back into the past and you have scientists and futurists, as they're called, who made predictions about where we would be now in the modern age. What did people think we would be in 1950, in 19... What did they think 2020 would look like? It's very interesting. Of course, we've all seen the Jetsons. But I don't think anybody flew in today, did they? But here are a few interesting predictions from the past about what 2020 would look like. And I want to see if anybody quite gets this. Number one, prediction for 2020 back in 1911, that human feet would become just one big toe. Surgeon Richard Clement Lucas of the Royal College of Surgeons of England gave a lecture. And he said, the useless outer toes that man will, might become a one-toed race. That's interesting, isn't it? But, and that scares me because I love flip-flops. And I would hate to give up my flip-flops because I got one big toe. Amen? It's nothing better than having a, a pair of flip-flops, is there? But that was one prediction. Hey, these useless outer toes, they'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll give up on them. Our biology will give up on them, and we'll just have one big toe sticking out. You can even hitchhike with that. Number two prediction for 2020, that you might have a monkey as a chauffeur by now. And this is interesting because this wasn't a long time ago that this was predicted. The RAND Corporation, who contributed to the space program and also to the development of the internet in 1994 said households without robots could have intelligent apes to clean, garden, and be family chauffeurs. Wow. Can you imagine coming to church and having a monkey driving you to church? Number three prediction we will all have personal helicopters. In 1951, popular mechanics said that every family would have at least one helicopter in the garage. Now that's now when you start putting that one together with the monkey, you know, you have a monkey flying you around in your helicopter. Now that's something to think about, isn't it, Steve? 
Or you think about your 16-year-old child flying the helicopter around, hello, that's some insurance money, ain't it? Or, number four, that our houses would float. Arthur C. Clarke, co-writer of The Space Odyssey in 1966, predicted that whole communities of houses could migrate south for the winter or move to new lands whenever they felt like the need for new scenery. Floating houses. 2020. Or, I think all of you will like this one. Nobody will have to work. And everyone will be rich. 1966 Time magazine predicted that machines will be producing so much in the United States that everyone will be independently wealthy and everyone will receive about $300,000 a year in our currency. Does that look like your 2020? Doesn't look like mine either. And there are other predictions such as nuclear-powered vacuum cleaners, the abolition of drinking coffee and tea, and robots as therapists to go along with it. Wow. That's what this is supposed to look like. That's what 2020 is supposed to look like, right? But thinking ahead... Thinking ahead in our day and age, thinking about what's in front of us is something all of us have to do. And in fact, Paul tells us that it's a spiritual responsibility to reach forward. To reach forward because time is the most important currency that you have. Time is. Time is the most important currency that each of us has. And the Bible says in Ephesians 5.16, redeem the time for the days are evil. Redeem the time. Because time is so important. Because at the end of the day, that's all you have, isn't it? Time. If you're blessed with time. If you're gifted time. I will say that every year we are gifted and we do become millionaires in the sense of time. That Lord willing, when the new year rolls around, when 2020 is given to you, God gives you 31,536,000 seconds. Those are gifts, aren't they? 31 million seconds that you get to do as you please with. And this year, in this service, we need to reach forward. We need to look ahead. Because Paul says that we're to reach forward in our lives. And he gives us some ideas of what we need to do in Philippians chapter 3. And the first thing that he tells us to do is that number one, I need to have a truthful evaluation of myself. He says in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid a hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. 
the first thing Paul challenges us to do is to take an honest evaluation of ourselves and to say this, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I am a work in progress. I've got work to do. That's why Paul says, I have not attained. I am not perfected. None of us spiritually arrive. That we are in a state of constant becoming. And that is the growth mindset that God wants us to have. That this year you're going to be better than you were in 2019. Amen? That you're going to do things right this year. That you're going to live right in 2020. That you're going to love more deeply. That you're going to forgive more completely. Because Paul says, Paul the Apostle himself, he said, I'm not perfected. I have not attained it yet. I'm not there yet. The Hebrew writer says it like this, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. That we are to strive for maturity as Christians. That we are to grow, as it says, in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're about to have a meal. About to have some good meal. Some good food. Now won't you imagine me sitting down beside you. And you've got your nice plate. And then I go looking in my pockets. I start eating some baby food. I say, well how's your food doing? It's good. You want some of my baby food? But yet as Christians, have we matured on to that mature diet? Or are we still eating baby food? You see, Christian growth is supposed to happen. We're supposed to mature as Christians, it says. I'm not supposed to stay on baby food all my life. But there's a lot of Christians that stay with the baby food. And they wonder why they're so weak. They wonder why it doesn't taste as good as it seems that other people have. Hey, these other people are eating well. They're strong. It's because I haven't graduated to a maturity of a deeper knowledge, of a deeper grace with God. I'm still over here with the baby food. I've got a few questions for you this morning to help assess your spiritual vital signs. Number one, does my belief have confidence? Does your belief have confidence in it? Because a mature Christian has a belief that's confident. Not because you're perfect, but because God has brought you through so much and you have spent time in His presence that you begin to have confidence in your belief. And isn't that the prayer of so many in the New Testament? Remember the man, he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. The disciples asked Jesus, increase our faith. And a sign of maturity is being confident, not in yourself, but in the one you believe. 
that I am confident in God, that I believe in my God, I trust in my God, not in myself. That's a sign of maturity, having the confidence, not in myself, but in whom I believe. Second question is, does my prayer have faith? James put it very bluntly in James chapter 1.6. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in his ways. What's James talking about? He's not talking about doubting that you're going to receive something. He's talking about you doubting God. But the prayer of a saint, the prayer of a mature Christian is one who knows God hears us. God listens to us. And God will deliver not necessarily what I want, but God will deliver what I need. God will deliver what I eternally need. Another question that we can ask ourselves, am I serving God with zeal? Am I serving God? Am I zealous? Am I enthusiastic? Am I energetic for God? I saw a lot of energy on the field last night for the Titans. I saw a lot of energy in support for those different teams. People are proud to wear whatever gear they got that says Titans or otherwise. They spend a lot of time thinking about the players and the plays and this and that. What if I was that zealous for God? What if I was that zealous in my service to those who were disenfranchised, to those who were hurting? Revelation says, Jesus found a church in Laodicea that was lukewarm, remember? They were neither hot nor cold. Am I zealous for God? Another question I can ask myself, am I living humbly? Am I a humble person? Am I really understanding my place with God? Remember Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? He requires you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Am I humble in the way that I talk to people? Am I humble with God? Am I walking humble? Another question I can ask myself is my worship joyful? Or do I just see it as, as, as some type of obligation? I got to go to church this morning. Not recognizing that it is a privilege to worship God. The psalmist of old says, I will praise you with my whole heart. God, you've got my whole heart. I lay it before you. I give you my whole heart. I'm praising you joyfully for what you've done for me for your love for me, for your forgiveness. Am I giving with gladness is another question. 
Am I glad when I have the opportunity to give? As Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Am I happy? Because there is a felicity. There is a flourishing that comes with giving when I have the ability. And I should take joy in that gift. And also, am I living a life of love? Is my life one of love? Am I reaching out to those around me in love? This gets us to our second point. I have to evaluate myself in a truthful way. But number two, I have to have holy aspirations. I have to have holy goals for this year. Verse 13 says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And Paul is not saying you need to be a poor historian in your life. He's talking about where is the focus of your energy and your life. He says you need to be forward-thinking people. Not caught up in the past. Not paralyzed by the past. But looking forward to what's in front of you. I, I want you all to come and take a ride with me in my car. But I have a, new, a unique way of driving my car. You see, I drive by looking at the rearview mirror. That's how I drive my car. Does anyone want to go for a ride around the block with me? You can certainly stay on the road, but you can't see what's in front of you, can you? But many times, spiritually, we live our lives looking through the rearview mirror trying to go forward. And we can't do it spiritually. We have to reach forward to that which is important to us. Our past is for our learning, but not for our paralysis. What's your goal this year? What's your spiritual goal this year? Number one, can you bring a soul to Christ? Can you invite someone to church? Can you read the Bible? Can you find new ways to serve? Can you find vocationally a way to use your gifts and talents more completely for God? Can you increase your influence for God and His kingdom? I like what Ziegler said about goals. He said this, what you get by achieving your goals is not as important as what you become by achieving your goals. A lot of times when we think about achieving goals, we just think about the goal. But when we achieve that goal, we become something more as a result of it. We become stronger because of it. We increase in knowledge because of attaining that goal. We become something greater in achieving those goals. It's not just about the goal. It's about who you become in the process of the goal. So I have to, number one, take a truthful evaluation of laws. Number one, which a lot of times we like to spend the focus and we like to think about everybody else, don't we? It's much easier for me to think about your problems than to think about mine. But I have to take an honest evaluation of myself. Number two, I need holy aspirations for this year. How am I going to grow for Christ 
And then number three, I need a faithful determination. Faithful determination. And that's the language that Paul uses in verses 14. I press. He says, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in God in Christ Jesus. You see, that that says that there's effort. I'm pressing. That means I am pursuing. I'm running after it. I'm chasing it. I'm pressing for that goal. I have to be determined in this process. So many times I've made up my mind to do something and what happens? That resolution stays on the paper. That goal wanes. But the pursuit of the Christian life must be one that is determined. One that is faithful. Remember Paul likened the Christian life unto a Christian race. And let me tell you, the race of following Christ is a marathon, isn't it? It's a marathon that we must continually pursue. And Paul says that this is a matter of being mature. And it's also a matter of unity. Verse 16, he says, Nevertheless, to this degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us have the same mind. We all need the same mind in this process. That way I can encourage you in the race. That once you fall, I can come over and help pick you up. I can encourage you when you get tired. You can encourage me when I get tired. Think about all of the things that habit either give you or take away from you. Because the power of faithfulness is a powerful thing, isn't it? Because when we talk about faithfulness, we're talking about the aggregate of many moments streamed along to accomplish something very great. Faithfulness is powerful. And what we repeatedly do is either taking something from us or it's producing something. It's either destructive or it is constructive. The power of what we do repeatedly. We need determination in our Christian walk, don't we? But lastly, I want to encourage you, not only do we need to have this honest evaluation, holy aspiration, and a determination, there is a beautiful destination. There is a beautiful destination, and that's what Paul talks about in verses 17 and following. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have for us as a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. There are those who have lost their way, Paul says. They've lost that determination. And it says that they have become enemies of the cross of Christ. People become enemies to the love of God. And it says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame. And the reason why is because they're setting their minds on what? Earthly things. Their goals are the things of the world. But Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able to even subdue all things into Himself. 
There is a beautiful destination that God has prepared for each of us. And let me tell you something. It's worth it. It's worth it. Heaven will be worth it. It may be hard to recognize in this world, but if you compare what other people are trading for heaven, what are they trading for? They're enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their glory is their shame. Their God is their belly. What is he saying? Their God is their passions and their appetite. And Paul says, don't you know our citizenship, that our goal is heaven and it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth whatever you're going through right now. There's an old hymn. Often I'm hindered on my way, burdened so heavy I almost fall. Then I hear Jesus sweetly say, heaven will surely be worth it all. Heaven will be worth what we give this life. So 2020, let it be this Sunday a renewal for you. Let it be a renewal for me to take an honest, truthful look at myself. To continue to aspire to those holy callings that God has on my life. To commit myself to the determination of following Jesus. Knowing that God will deliver on His promise that beautiful destination. God loves you so much. God is here to support you and to love you and to usher in His kingdom. Have you obeyed Him this morning? The Bible says that we begin that Christian walk through faith. That we believe in Christ. We believe in His Word, in His teaching. That we repent of those sins that hurt us and that hurt those around us. We confess Him as our Lord and Savior. And we're baptized, immersed into His body, the church, for the remission of sins and for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we begin to take that journey with Him. And it will be worth it when we find Him, when He comes again. We want to encourage you that if you have any need this morning, whether it be to render obedience to the Gospel, or if you need a prayer of healing or encouragement, we're going to sing this next song to encourage you. So if you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.